puts himself on live television. The ghost of a nine-year-old boy haunts Ted Danson, and a Canadian dream team wins the Stanley Cup. Welcome to 1987. I hope this finds you all well and safe. Welcome to episode two, 1987. I'm going to actually have to credit my son for this year that we've chosen because I had asked him what year I should do. And after he suggested 1969 and laughed, he saw my face. His response was, that's when the moon landing was, mom. After that, he chose 1987. So here we are. When it comes to 1987, the first thing I think about is the Edmonton Oilers winning the Stanley Cup. The glory days of Gretzky beating the Flyers in a series 4-3 to in a Game 7, 3-1. to You know, I think one of the best things about that year for NHL and with the Oilers anyway, because I'm an Oilers fan, is that they swept all of their series getting up to, or pretty much swept, up to the Flyers. And to go to a Game 7 for the Stanley Cup is always amazing. But Edmonton really kind of had it in the bag for the first two games. And then Game 3, they came out strong. They were up 3 nothing, And then the Flyers really felt their back against the wall and they started pushing. And they ended up winning Game 3 at uh, 5-3, which is pretty insane. Yeah, Flyers ended up being a real competitor and it went to Game 7. And, you know, thank God for Gretzky. Been a while, Canada. Been a while. Was it 1992 was the last time that we won the Stanley Cup? And that was the Montreal Canadiens that did that for us? Yeah. I'll never forget 2006, Oilers. Anyway, we're not here to talk about then. We're here to talk about 1987. I'm going to apologize because I know that I'm going to be very biased in this category. There are certain sports that I really love, and I probably won't touch base on a lot of football and stuff like that. I love hockey. I also love wrestling. 1987, we had WrestleMania 3 with the WWF. This was the event of Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan hitting the top climax of their feud. Leading up to that, they were a team together and Andre turned on Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan had been the champion for three years in a row and Andre the Giant came out on Piper's Pit and said, you've been the champion for too long. On another episode of Piper's Pit with Rowdy Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant was receiving an award for 15 years undefeated, and Hulk Hogan came out to congratulate him, but suddenly made the entire thing about him. Andre the Giant got mad, and he ended up challenging Hulk Hogan for the belt at WrestleMania 3. They ended up having this epic fight. Again, Andre the Giant undefeated Hulk Hogan. He hulked up. He ended up doing his scoop slam on the 525-pound giant before hitting the ropes and then doing his leg drop pin and winning to retain the championship. Also, WrestleMania 3, man, there are some amazing names. Honky Tonk Man, Jake the Snake Roberts, Alice Cooper was there. He was in Jake the Snake's corner. Ricky the Steamboat, the Dragon Steamboat, Macho Man Randy Savage, the Heart Foundation, British Bulldogs. I know that there is a station on TV that shows old WWE, WWF tournaments, but I desperately want to watch these old WrestleManias because I remember wrestling with my brothers when we were little. They always got to pick who they wanted and I always had to be the undertaker because I had long hair so I had to put it in front of my face and I always wanted to be Jake the Snake Roberts and he's such a nice guy and... 
I recently got a cameo from him for my brothers and he sent the most wonderful message and it was so long and I will always be a huge fan of his. Another really good show to watch is The Resurrection of Jake the Snake on Netflix. It's a really good documentary that kind of goes into his life and you know the 80s those guys were high, they were drinking, they were ruthless and I actually became a fan of the WWE. I was when I was little because of my brothers but as I got older I wanted to know what was real and what wasn't because everyone says wrestling is fake but to me I'm watching these big guys athletically jump and bounce around and bleed and I wanted to know what was actually real how much of it was choreographed and stuff like that that's how I ended up becoming fascinated with the WWE as an adult there is a tv series by Vice on Crave and it's called The Dark Side of the Ring and even if you don't like wrestling but you do like docu-series and intense crazy stories, you should watch this show. There's two seasons now, maybe three. They go into some of the craziest stories I've ever seen. There's one about a guy who falls something like 50 stories and smashes his skull, like crushes it. I'm sure that a lot of people remember Owen Hart and when he fell from the zip line coming down into the ring and it broke and he fell and died in the ring. So definitely check out that show. It's again, it's Dark Side of the Ring by Vice. It's on Crave. It's a fascinating show with some really crazy stories. So I'm going to jump into news from 1987 because there's some pretty crazy stories that happened. I'll start with, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bud Dwyer. He was the state treasurer for Pennsylvania. If you're listening in Canada, no, you may not have heard of Bud Dwyer. However, you may have heard this story before. Early 1980s, Pennsylvania discovered its state workers had overpaid federal taxes due to errors in the state withholding prior to Dwyer's administration. A multi-million dollar recovery contract was required to determine the compensation to be given to each employee. In 1986, Dwyer was convicted for accepting a bribe from the California firm that won the contract. He was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in aid of racketeering. He was scheduled to be sentenced on January 23, 1987. On January 22nd, Dwyer called a news conference in Pennsylvania State Capitol where he fatally shot himself with a revolver in front of all of the reporters. Dwyer's suicide was actually broadcast later that day to television audiences across Pennsylvania. I've actually watched the video. It's not pleasant. I don't really suggest watching it unless you're really that curious. I think I actually ended up seeing it on a television series originally and there are clips of it in Bowling for Columbine by Michael Moore. Faith No More's Angel Dust B-Side, The World is Yours, references Dwyer's suicide. Marilyn Manson's Get Your Gun also does. I think Filter has a song called Hey Man, Nice Shot that references it. And I know CKY. Oh, I love them. CKY's Volume 1 had a song about Dwyer's suicide as well, but I think they had to remove it once they switched labels. 
Another big thing that was happening in the 80s was HIV, AIDS. Everybody in the world was terrified of it because there was a lack of understanding and misinformation. And in April of 1987, Princess Diana opened the UK's first purposely built HIV AIDS unit that exclusively cared for patients affected with the virus. In front of the world's media, Princess Diana shook the hands of a man suffering from the illness, and she did it without her gloves on, publicly challenging the notion that HIV and AIDS were passed from person to person by touch. She showed a single gesture that this was a condition needing compassion and understanding and not fearing it and being ignorant. HIV does not make people dangerous to know, so you can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. Heaven knows we needed Princess Diana. She was an amazing woman who really started to break down walls, but then obviously in 1997 her accident happened. I would be really curious to know what she would have done in this world if she hadn't passed and where her boys would be as well. Okay, something else that happened in 1987. I don't know if you guys remember Max Headroom. He was a British AI character that was known for his wit and his stutter and his electronic voice. He was actually the first computer-generated personality, even though it was just a guy with prosthetics and harsh lighting and a blue screen background. Max Headroom hosted a music video program, and one night in... Chicago, Illinois, there was a broadcast signal hijacking of two television stations, and the stations were interrupted by a video of an unknown person wearing a Max Headroom mask and costume accompanied by distorted audio. The first incident took place for about 25 seconds during the sports segment of WGN-TV's 9 p.m. news broadcast, and the second occurrence happened about two hours later for 90 seconds during a PBS affiliate WTTW's broadcast of Doctor Who. The video ended with an exposed buttocks being spanked with a fly swatter before normal programming resumed, and the culprits were never caught, which is kind of funny. Another fun fact is that in New York City in 1987, the number of people bitten by squirrels was 95, and the number of people bitten by other people in New York City was 1,600. Okay, next one, homicidal sleepwalking. Kenneth Parks drove from Pickering, Ontario in Scarborough, Ontario, where his in-laws lived. He entered the house with a key he was given previously and bludgeoned his mother-in-law to death with a tire iron. He then tried to choke his father-in-law to death. Parks got back into his car and drove to the police station covered in blood. He walked into the station and said, I think I just killed two people. At the trial, Parks argued that he was automatistic and not criminally liable. In his defense... A doctor testified as to his mental state at the time of the murder. From the doctor's evidence, it was determined that the accused was sleepwalking at the time of the incident and that he was suffering from a disorder of sleep rather than neurological, psychiatric, or any other illnesses. Five neurological experts also confirmed that he was sleepwalking during the time of the incident, and the jury acquitted Parks for the murder. Last story for news. Jessica McClure 
the little girl in the well. Jessica McClure fell into a well in her aunt's backyard and she was only 18 months old. Firemen and police planned to drill a parallel shaft beside the well where Jessica was stuck and then they were going to drill horizontally to get to her but they found out that the well was surrounded by rocks and even jackhammers couldn't help since they were designed to go down and not horizontal. A mining engineer came and brought new technology of water cutting to cut the rocks. 45 hours after she fell into the well, the rescuers could hear her singing Winnie the Pooh. A roofing contractor, Ron Short, actually volunteered to go down the shaft because he was born without collarbones and could collapse his shoulders to work in tight, confined spaces. The team considered his offer, but paramedic Robert O'Donnell was ultimately able to inch his way into the tunnel, wrestling Jessica free from her position, pinned inside the well with one leg above her forehead, and hand her off to a fellow paramedic who carried her up to safety before giving her to another paramedic that took her to the ambulance. They ended up having to amputate Jessica's toe due to gangrene because of the loss of circulation. But that little girl was in there for over 54 hours. Next up, we're going to touch on music. Music, 1987. You know it was amazing. The 80s were killer for music. There wasn't anything dramatically notable in 1987 with music. One thing for sure that is groundbreaking. In 1986, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was created. And in 1987, the first woman was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And that was Aretha Franklin. Whitney Houston was inducted in 2020. I don't know about 2021 yet, but some of the nominees are the Go-Go's, Kate Bush, Carole King, Shaka Khan, Mary J. Blige, Dionne Warnick, and Tina Turner. How Tina Turner is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame already blows my mind. Uh, the song Faith by George Michael came out in 1987, and I recently watched an episode of How It Really Happened with Hill Harper, and it was on George Michael, you know, after Wham, and how he realized that he was genuinely just gay and not bisexual, and he had a relationship and his boyfriend ended up dying of AIDS. He's being lured by the public in his like deviant ways, so to speak. And then an undercover cop lured him into a bathroom and convinced him to show his penis so he could arrest him. All of these horrible things ended up driving George Michael to become addicted to drugs and he ended up dying, unfortunately, of drugs and uh, dilated cardiomyopathy with mitocarditis and a fatty liver. Rest in peace. The number one song in 1987 was actually Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. Also was my all-time favorite song. I had the Super Ladies of the 80s cassette tape and Walk Like an Egyptian was on it and I convinced myself that I was in the Bangles for a very long time. Alone by Heart was also there. I Want to Dance with Somebody, Whitney Houston. So many unbelievable iconic classics in the billboard top 100 wang chong everyone have fun tonight you know living on a prayer by bon jovi la bamba moni moni by billy idol 1987 when it comes to music is my childhood i find when you look at the list of of the songs you know i've had the time of my life dirty dancing 
came out in 1987, and you can't tell me that you don't still listen to that soundtrack. Speaking of soundtracks, let's go into movies. Okay, 1987 and movies. The number one movie in 1987. Top of the box office. Three Men and a Baby with Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, and Steve Gutenberg. They surpassed Fatal Attraction. I had mentioned in the intro that there was a bit of an urban legend that surrounded this movie. I also haven't watched this movie in a long time and I think I'm going to watch it again. Just over an hour into the film, there's a scene that shows Jack and his mother walking through the house with Mary and they pass a background window on the left side of the screen and a black outline that appears to resemble a rifle is pointed downward and can be seen behind the curtains. As they walk back past the window 40 seconds later, a human figure can be seen in the window. An urban legend began circulating in 1990, so shortly before the sequel of Three Men and a Little Lady, that this was the ghost of a boy who had been killed in the house where the film was shot. The most common version of the myth was that the nine-year-old boy had committed suicide with a shotgun there, explaining why you see the shotgun and then you see the body. This is why the building was vacant and they could film there is because the grieving family had left. Unfortunately, the legend is just that. Or fortunately, actually. <laughs> the legend is just that. The real ghost boy is a cutout standee of Ted Danson wearing a tuxedo and a top hat that was left on the set. It was actually created for part of the storyline, but then they ended up cutting the whole thing out in the final version. And all of the indoor scenes were shot in Toronto soundstage and no kind of residential dwelling was used for interior filming. So it's not true. But that's good because that means a nine-year-old boy did not kill himself in that house. Another interesting thing is that there is a reboot coming to Disney Plus with Zac Efron, who was born in 1987. And again, 1987, movies were fantastic. There were some amazing hits. I had mentioned Dirty Dancing before. Another one of my very favorite movies is Princess Bride. Princess Bride had one of the most amazing casts to date. In this cast, you've got Carrie Elwes and Andre the Giant, Manny Paquin, Robin Wright. The list goes on and on. Billy Crystal. There's tons of amazing people in that film. And, uh, it, it was a thing for the cast to actually take Andre the Giant out for drinks and try and get him drunk. And one time Andre drank three bottles of cognac and 12 bottles of wine and it only made him tipsy. That blows my mind. Um, the cast would also go out for dinner and Andre, who according to Robin Wright, had ordered four appetizers and five entrees and would drink out of a 40-ounce beer pitcher filled with mix of liquors, and he called it The American. Carrie Elwes actually filmed the movie with a broken toe from an ATV accident. I got to meet Carrie, I think, three years ago with my one of my good friends, Leslie, and he, with his British accent, <laughs> kept telling me, you're so sweet, you're so sweet. And I remember how smitten I was <laughs> giving him a hug. And then we ended up watching him do a panel. And this little girl came up and wanted to give him a hug. And he kept saying, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. So I realized I'm not 
that's special. <laughs> and he says that to everybody. Anyway, he told this story at the panel that um, he broke his toe from an ATV accident on set. And they were using the ATVs kind of in between scenes and to get around. And he ended up uh, crashing, I think. When Carrie ended up breaking his toe from the ATV accident, you can um, notice it a lot in the movie. And he said it was extremely painful. Also, there's a fight scene with the six-fingered man, Christopher Guest, and he was reluctant to actually hit Carrie and was worried that he would really hurt him. And unfortunately, you could tell while they were filming that it was really fake and like take after take was failing. So finally, Carrie suggested Guest just go for it. At least tap him on the head to get the reaction timing right. And the tap came a little bit too hard. Carrie was knocked legitimately unconscious. And he later woke up in the hospital emergency room. And that is the take that they use in the movie. Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. Bill Pullman was actually the third actor that they chose. After Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. Yikes. I could not imagine that movie without Bill Pullman. Oh, I had such a crush on him. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump down to pop culture now. Video games on the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. We had Legend of Zelda come out. And Link, obviously, is inspired by Peter Pan, a Disney character. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. There was once a golf tournament held on golf for NES. And you had to submit your best scores. And the winner was rewarded the golden cartridge. I have never heard anything so 80s in my life. Another fun fact about that is that Tyson never played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out until 2013. 1987 also saw the birth of the Final Fantasy franchise. And if you know me, you know that my number one all-time hands-down favorite video game is Final Fantasy VII. I love it. The remake came out last year and it was amazing. I love the adaptation. I think they did a fantastic job. I can't wait for the next chapter to come out. I have it on my PlayStation 5, which just bricked. And now I have to send it in and get it repaired. So that sucks. Teen Beat. We're looking at Kirk Cameron, Michael J. Fox, Bruce Willis, River Phoenix. Things that were in the Muppet Babies were in Little Happy Meals. And you had like Kermit on the skateboard, Miss Piggy in the little pink car. Gem dolls were really hot. Micro machines. Pogo balls were huge. Smoking was actually banned on planes in 1987. In August of 1987, while driving a rented BMW, Matthew Broderick was in Northern Ireland and he crossed into the wrong lane and collided head-on with a Volvo. The driver and the mother of the driver were both killed instantly. Matthew Broderick was on vacation with Jennifer Grey, who he'd just begun dating in semi-secrecy during the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He suffered a leg fracture, ribs, a concussion, and a collapsed lung. Jennifer Grey's injuries included severe whiplash, which required her to have surgery to avoid paralysis. The articles that I've read about this all say that the crash publicly revealed their relationship, but honestly, who in God's right mind would give a fuck about that when he's killed two people? 
Roderick told police that he had no recollection of the crash and didn't know why he had been in the wrong lane. What I first remember is waking up in the hospital with a very strange feeling going on in my leg. He was charged with causing death by dangerous driving and faced up to five years in prison, but was convicted of a lesser charge for careless driving and was only charged $175. And you know, there's actually a number of celebrities who have killed people in car accidents. Brandy, the singer, she was in a car accident and unfortunately somebody passed away from it. Rebecca Gayhart and Caitlyn Jenner also was in a motor vehicle accident and somebody ended up passing away from that. Now I'm going to move into television, a little less dark, but I'm going to make it dark somehow. So we saw the debut of Full House in 1987, and this didn't take place in 1987, but after the television show ended with Full House, Jodie Sweeten, who played Stephanie, the middle sister on the television show, ended up becoming addicted to meth at a very young age. I think she was 14. And... I just read her biography. It's really good. She's doing well now. She's got a happy life with children and a husband. But the struggle of children actors, she goes really deep into what it was like, again, being the middle sister, even though it was on a television show, and growing up on set. One of the people that actually ended up helping save her life was John Stamos. So not only is Uncle Jesse really good looking, but he turns out to be a really nice guy too. Something else that debuted in 1987? Unsolved Mysteries. And it was terrifying. That theme song, when you hear it as a kid, it makes you not want to go outside and cross the street. And if there's any van, you're going to run. That show terrified me but I loved it and I've been watching it it's got all the original series on prime video right now and I started watching it again as soon as that music starts instantly I'm like a child again it's horrifying also it's really interesting because they have so many solved mysteries now not so unsolved they have a lot of updates on the show Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles debuted they're one of my all-time favorites. You know me. You know I've got tattoos of the Ninja Turtles. And The Simpsons was on the Tracy Ullman show as little shorts then. It didn't have its own series quite yet. Wrapping it up with books. One of the best that came out of 1987 was Misery by Stephen King. Annie, the main character in the book, is actually based on Stephen King's drug addiction. And the other character, Paul isn't necessarily based on Stephen King, but he says, like any author, you put a little bit of yourself into each character. He actually had a dream on a plane and ended up writing everything down on a cocktail napkin. And shortly after that, he wrote 370 pages of the book by hand in a notebook. If you haven't seen the movie, get your hands on a copy of it because Kathy Bates is unbelievable in that film. I think she won an Oscar for it, actually. Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, that is 1987. <laughs>